Thank you, Lord. My wife leaned over to me when Mike was talking there and said, you know, sometimes people think mistakenly that they have to, you know, clean up everything in their life and get everything fixed before they can say yes to Jesus. That he wouldn't accept your yes unless you had all your stuff together first. But you know, you don't find that anywhere in the scripture. There's nobody that came to Jesus had all their stuff together. Not one of the stories, right? Not the woman with the issue of blood who reached out, touched his hand, his hem of his garment and was healed. Not the guy who was lowered through the roof. It was a paralytic, right? And his friends lowered him through the roof. He didn't have his stuff together. I mean, his friends were the ones who had the faith. You know what I'm saying? Are you hearing me? You know, not prodigal son, he didn't have his stuff together, you know? I mean, if you can find me one in the scripture, in fact, the only guy who seemed to have it all together and he came to Jesus and he said, you know, hey, I've followed all the commandments. I've done all this stuff. I've basically he was bragging. He said, I'm, I'm a good guy. I'm a good boy. I've honored my mom and dad. I've done this. I've done that. Jesus looked at him and said, well, sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. Come follow me. The Bible says he turned around and he walked away because he was very wealthy. I like to think he got halfway down the road and he had a second thought about it and he came back to Jesus and said, Master, here it is. If you want it, you can have that too. But you know what? Everybody, everybody comes to Jesus in a place where we haven't got it all together. You know, Jesus came for people who haven't got it all together. The Bible says, Jesus said, I didn't come for the righteous. I came for the unrighteous. Now, ironically, there is no such thing as a righteous person. That's why Jesus had to come, right? He said, I didn't come for those people. I came for the unrighteous that I might make them righteous, that I may make them whole. Amen. That's our God this morning. Father, we just thank you that no matter where we were at, no matter how deep we were in sin, no matter how bound up we were in habits or hurts or hangups, no matter how much life had come against us, Lord, when we said yes to you, wherever we were, wherever our situation was, you took that yes. And Father, that you gave us, the Bible says, beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, so that we could be an oak of righteousness, a planting of God, so you could be glorified. And today, that's what we are. We're oaks of righteousness. We're not made righteous because of our work or how much we've done. We're made righteous because of the blood of Jesus. And we're an oak. We're planted, unmovable by the winds of this world. We're planted, God, and then we display your goodness through us. Oh, we still get buffeted. The wind still comes against us. We still have rough days, days that are tough. But Father, we now face them as a child of God. And when we face them as a child of God, everything's different. And Father, we thank you today in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated this morning. Um, one more thing I want to do before I take a few minutes and share with you this morning. And uh, how many know that uh, Friday, what day Friday was? Black Friday, that's right. Black Friday. Because you get some good deals. How many did some Black Friday shopping? Let me see your hands. Uh, all right. And how many know what Monday is? Cyber Monday. See how culture has defined your thinking like that. We're Canadians, for crying out loud. It's not even our Thanksgiving. It's not our Black Friday. But we've adopted it, and it's here in Canada, and it's uh, Black Friday and Cyber Monday. And then how many know what Tuesday is? 
Giving Tuesday. That's right. We've not talked about that here before at Desert Stream, but it's Giving Tuesday on Tuesday. And so, uh, you know, there's an opportunity for you to be able to uh, take a moment and prayerfully between now and Tuesday consider what you could do uh, to, to bring a gift and sow a gift into the ministry here at DS. You know, we, uh, we have, we're a little behind budget this year. Uh, ironically, we are, we are slightly over budget during COVID. I'm not quite sure how to figure this out. Uh, and uh, when there was 25 people in the auditorium. And, uh, and, and now it's just a little behind budget. Of course, you know, uh, we weren't spending a whole lot of money when there was nobody, no children here, no nothing to have to do. But, but uh, we, could, we could use your help. And we also have, uh, you know, a program that our ministry we started here called Kingdom Builders. And uh, on the, uh, what did it be, the second Sunday, I think it's the 10th of December, we're going to be presenting all of our Kingdom Builder projects for 2024. And uh, last year, we had an ambitious budget for Kingdom Builders, 115000 We've had 99000 of that come in for this year. I know some of you are still working away on pledges and things like that. So if you could just, you know, if you wanted to sow a gift into getting that budget done from last year, that would be great. If there's something burning in your heart, I got to tell you a story. This week, we, uh, we came and, and somebody had left a, uh, come into the church and left a, a coffee cup, a Tim Hortons coffee cup just wrote Israel on the outside of it. And inside the coffee cup was $3,500 that we put out an appeal for last week for uh, you know, us to be able to help Jess with a ministry that he did in Israel. And he was over there and he had to just fly over the last minute. And uh, so the whole thing was covered with, with one, one gift. Somebody put it in a coffee. If, if you're if you're that person, we'd love to give you a, a receipt for that, uh, you know. And I know, you know, you do it because, you know, you know maybe you don't want it, you know, you want to do it anonymously, and I understand that, I appreciate that. But if you give a receipt, then you can get that back in your tax return, then you can give the tax return money, too. So then it's like a win-win. You see how that works? So we, we encourage people to, to make it, take advantage of that. Uh, the government's willing to partner with you in that giving, then, you, you know, you should take advantage of that. That's the way I look at it. But we just want to say thank you to whoever it was that, that dropped that in. And I immediately did a video, showed it of the, the cup and showed it to Jesse. And he was just uh, touched beyond measure and so grateful for this congregation. He said our church literally was the best experience he had all summer going around and, and ministering and sharing and so excited to be partnering with us for the nation of Israel. So thank you for your prayers, and thank you. Whoever dropped that off, thank you. We are so grateful for that. Amen. Well, I've, I've got a 40-minute message. I have to get done in 12 minutes. Whew, pressure. Pressure. You have no idea how much pressure there is. When, uh, yeah, but I want to just first of all say a welcome to all our visitors who are here. It's a baby dedication morning, so we got family members and extended family. Can we put our hands together and welcome everybody here today? Amen. It is so glad to have you with us today, and uh, we had we had taken some chairs out during COVID because we had to create space, and we hadn't put them all back in as things were slow to fill back up but I can see we need to add some more rows back in, which means you might have a little less leg room next week. You will look the same, but there'll be more rows in here, all right? We'll probably add at least one, if not two more rows, which gets us between 25 and 40, uh, 40 50 more chairs in here. So we'll, we'll do that next week. And uh, we're just so glad to have you with us. And so aren't you happy that you can be back in the house of the Lord? Amen? Come on. Praise the Lord. Well, a couple weeks ago, we've been, we've been talking about 
what it is to live as sons and daughters of the king. And a couple weeks ago, I shared about how amazing it was for the disciples to get upgraded from servants to friends, right? And how, you know, Jesus said, you know, no longer in John uh, chapter 15, he said, no longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. And he said, and the reason is because a servant doesn't know what, is, what the master is about, what the master is doing, but the, servant, the friend gets invited in. And then I just talked about what it is to live as a friend of God, what it is to partner with him, to have him uh, share his heart with us and our heart with him, and, and, uh, and, and a lot of different scriptures and a lot of stuff, and I don't want to get into repeating all of that. I could. It was all good. If you didn't hear it, go back two weeks ago and listen to it. It's online. And, uh, but this morning, I want to just move forward from there, and I want to look at this whole thing about friendship again, and I want, to just, I want us to see something that is incredibly profound that the Lord showed me in 2018. I've only ever shared it here once before, but I, I think we need to hear it again this morning. So, Father, I just pray today in the name of Jesus that you would, you would just help us as we look to your scripture. I know time is a little tight, but I also know you're a miracle-working God. So you can help me to be able to communicate this in uh, the amount of time that we have here this morning. Father, we're so grateful for everybody that's here. And Lord, we just ask for your grace in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, in 2018, I've been working for a long time, for about almost a decade now, on a book about grace. And I haven't finished it, but I keep getting greater and greater revelation about grace as I'm working on the book. So I'm kind of happy I haven't finished it yet. It's very close, but not quite done it yet. And I was doing some research on the different words that God uses in the Scripture to describe us, right? And uh, how does he describe believers in the Scripture? What does it say? And I, So I made a list of different words I wanted to look at. The first one I started with was the word friends that we talked about a couple weeks ago. And, uh, and, I, and as I, I got halted at this word friend for very good reason. And, uh, and the Lord gave me a revelation that I'd never heard anybody else mention before, and I, I had to do a bit of digging to, to make sure that this, what, I, what I saw in the Scripture was actually true, and it is, but it was so profound that it forever just gave me an appreciation for who we are in Christ that I don't think anyone, the devil, nobody else could ever take away from me ever in my life from that day forward. So that's what I want to share with you this morning. So when we look at that, uh, being a friend of God, as we talked about from John 15, uh, two weeks ago, you know, go back to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, you know, the possibility of being called a friend of God was pretty rare. I mean, you know, if you look at the events in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and Adam and Eve are created, and they're given control of the whole garden, and then... Uh, God says to them, don't eat the tree from the fruit tree, from fruit, I should say, from the tree of the, of, uh, the knowledge of good and of evil. You can have everything else, but don't touch that. And of course, we know what happened. Uh, Adam and Eve partook of the fruit, and the Bible says that they, they uh, felt shame, their eyes were opened, they had, they had lost their innocence before God, and that they were now in a place where they had experienced sin and they had experienced that darkness for the first time. And, you know, from that time forward, it was difficult because of the gulf of sin for mankind to get close to God. But we do see some glimpses of it. 
Abraham is identified in Scripture as a friend of God. In 2 Chronicles 20 and 7, Isaiah 41 and 8. And then if you look forward in the New Testament, you see in James 2, 23, it says this, and the Scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. So Abraham was known as a friend of God. Now you have to move forward uh, quite a number of years, a few hundred in fact, to find the next person who gets called the friend of God, and that's Moses. And in Exodus chapter 33, uh, verse 11, it says this, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. And so we see that Moses had achieved this intimacy with God that you don't see anyone else being mentioned as having that kind of a relationship since Abraham. And Moses is also referred to as a friend of God. Friendship with God was something to be aspired to in the Old Testament. If you walked with God, if you followed his commandments, if you uh, spent time meditating on him and waiting on him, then you could hope to be at a place where you were a friend of God. I don't think there was any greater endearment that you could place upon somebody in the Old Testament than to be considered a friend of God. So then you fast forward into the New Testament, and we come to the person of John the Baptist. And uh, John, in describing his role as the forerunner for Jesus, identified himself as a friend of Christ. Called himself the friend of the bridegroom. Jesus was the bridegroom. Who's the bride? Help me out. Who's the bride? That's right. The church. We are, right? But John was the, was the uh, you know, the, the best man, if you will. He was the groomsman for the bridegroom. He was the one, the, the, the friend of the bridegroom who was there to announce his arrival, to proclaim his arrival. And so that's how he described himself was as a friend of the groom, a friend of the groom. John chapter 3, verse 29, it says, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend, which is John the Baptist, who attends the bridegroom, waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. And then John said this about himself. He said, that joy is mine and is now complete. So that's how John saw himself. And yet, ironically, John was Jesus' what? First cousin, right? John was his first cousin. John was a prophetic forerunner of Jesus. John considered himself, though, and he considered this an incredible honor to be a friend of Jesus as well. The theme of of friendship is all throughout the Gospels as well. You just see it over and over and over again. Matthew eleven nineteen, 19, the son of man came eating and drinking, and they say he's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is proved right by his action. He was a friend of who? Sinners. How many know that makes, means that Jesus is a friend to you? <laughs> the rest of you are delusional, all right? <laughs> he's a friend of, of sinners. Tax, and then I think it's interesting, tax collectors are lumped in there, sinners and tax collectors. You ever notice that? Uh, anyway... Uh, enough said about the poor government. All right. The son of man came eating and drinking, and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Again, in Luke chapter 7, verse 34. So from these comments, it's pretty obvious that Jesus considered himself to be a friend of those that society would cast out. Those that society would push to the outside, Jesus came along and invited them in. He befriended them. That's the nature of Jesus. And that there is no 
person who could be so marginalized that Jesus could not invite them in to friendship, into relationship. In his famous conversation we looked at a couple weeks ago with the disciples of John 15, he said, Jesus said, greater love has no man than this, that he would lay down his life for who? His friend. His friend. And then as we said a couple weeks ago, John looked at the, Jesus, I should say, looked at the disciples and he said, I no longer call you servants, I call you my friends. In other words, he was saying, I'm here on earth today to lay my life down for you. Because there's no greater demonstration of love than he would lay down his life for his friend. The disciples were indeed the friends of Jesus. Now, what about you and I? What about friendship under the new covenant? All right, this is where the revelation that God gave me came in. Friendship with God was the closest that you could get to God under the old covenant. Right? Christ came and he gave his life and he established a new covenant with his blood. A new covenant, the Bible says a new covenant with better promises, right? A new covenant with greater access, a greater relationship. But under the old covenant, friendship was as close as you could get to God. Abraham was a friend of God. Moses was a friend of God. John the Baptist saw himself as a friend of the bridegroom. Jesus was described as a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus himself acknowledged his disciples as his friends. Every one of those references is friendship with God under old covenant. Now you might say, whoa, 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 hey, wait a minute, minute. you you were talking about Jesus there and John the Baptist and Jesus calling the disciples friends. Isn't that new covenant? No, it's not new covenant. The new covenant didn't begin until Jesus shed his blood. You have to understand everything that happened in Jesus' ministry, everything, everybody say everything. everything, everything until his death and resurrection was old covenant. Everything was still living under law. The only way to God was, was still the, the frustrating process of trying to, to find some kind of a peace through the law, which the Bible says could never be achieved. That's why even people in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, did not find their hope, did not find their salvation until Jesus. Until Jesus. That's why Jesus was able to say that Abraham looked into the future and he saw my day and he rejoiced. Because Abraham's hope was in a Savior that was yet to come. And he knew that when that Savior's blood was shed, his, his uh, uh, salvation, his access to glory to heaven would finally be paid for. And until that time, they waited patiently for Jesus. They waited patiently for Jesus. So all of those references are all old covenant references. The new covenant, written in Jesus' blood, Hebrews said, is a new and better covenant with better promises, Hebrews 8, verse 6. We have to get a hold of that. So you say, okay, well, what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us? Well, Jesus has provided a different way for us to access him in the new covenant. The intimacy that Jesus offers us today goes beyond friendship. It goes beyond the reference of friendship. Today, the language that we live under can only be described with the words of family. And you have to get a hold of this. See, what I discovered as I started looking through and doing a word search on the word friends in the scripture is that you know that nowhere after the cross does God ever refer to you as merely a friend. All the references in the New Testament 
to the believer, to describe the individual believer, our family references. Son, daughter, heir, co-heir, all of them. And you're looking at me like, seriously? Seriously, you can go home and do a search. I did. I have a computer that does all that for me in seconds. I got one of those fancy programs, type it in there. I used to have a big concordance about this thick. And I have to, used to have to go look up every single reference in the thing. Computer does it in a split second, just like that. Praise the Lord. And, I, and as I searched it, I realized that, the, that nowhere after the cross are we as Christians, as we as followers of Jesus, individually referred to as anything but family language. That's a staggering revelation. Yes, the church as a body, and that's a whole other sermon, is referred to as a body, is referred to as an army, is referred to as a bride. These are, but these are terms that are never applied to the individual. They're applied to the corporate body. But as an individual, God calls you a son, a daughter, an heir. He only uses family language on this side of the cross. Praise the Lord. This is an incredible revelation. Because if we don't understand the nature of what took place on the cross, if we miss the fact that, we, that the disciples, yes, they got upgraded from servants to friends, but we were upgraded from friends to sons and daughters of God. That the cross and the resurrection was the ultimate upgrade that we would possibly and could possibly experience. Never on this side of the cross is the individual believer referred to as anything but family terms. That is one of the most beautiful truths in Scripture. So some of you might be saying, so what, what, what are you saying? God's not my friend? I love the fact, just two weeks ago, you said he was my friend. And I love the fact that he was my friend. You know, I got friends that I'd rather spend time with than family. How many would that be an accurate description? <laughs> right? I'm not saying he's not your friend. He's still your friend. He's still your friend. But the point that I'm making is that the relationship that God has with you goes deeper than friendship. There's a blood connection that exists between you and him. You are God's son. You are God's daughter. You are a co-heir with Jesus Christ. You are a family member in the house of God. Are you hearing me this morning? Well, can I be both? Yes. Yes. And let me illustrate how. My wife... And I were married many years ago in 1984. Now, some of you are going, wow, that was a long time ago. Yeah, you do the math. I'll help you out. In the spring, it'll be 40 years. That's why we're going to Italy. We're going to celebrate. Hallelujah. Woo! Come on. On, 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 the 30, on our 30th, I, I took her to Hawaii. This time, we're going to Italy. You know, at once every 10 years, you just have to, you know, throw caution to the wind and just go for it. You know what I'm saying? So here's the thing. My wife and I, we, we, we clicked so, so well when we first met and lots of conversations. We became really good friends very fast. Then I realized, I love this girl. I'm not letting her go to anywhere else. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to make sure I seize the opportunity here. And so asked her to marry me, and that was many years ago, and three children and 12 grandchildren ago, and God has been good, Amen. And to this day, my relationship with my wife just keeps getting gooder and gooder. How many know what I'm talking about? Tom, come on. Am I preaching right here now? Come on. And, and so I, I can honestly tell you, she's, she's my best friend today. My best friend is my wife. No question about it. 
I spend more time with my best friend than I spend with anybody else. We do all kinds of things together. We love doing things together. Now, here's the thing. She may be my best friend, but we, we go to, we get, because we're pastors, we end up at social gatherings, everything from weddings to who knows what, that we don't know people, right? And my wife and I are standing together and people will be, you know, come up and I'll introduce, you know, myself or they'll come up and they may know me and I'll say, and I've never yet said, and this is my friend, Sherry. Even though she is my friend, I've never said, oh, and this is my friend, Sherry. I say, no, this is my wife, Sherry. Because the relationship of wife, of spouse, of family trumps friend every single time. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so I don't say this is my friend, Sherry, even though she is my friend, that I could probably spend 20 minutes explaining to them how wonderful a friend she is. But all I have to say is, and this is my wife, and instantly revelation and understanding comes to them. They know that we have a connection together that is deeper than probably any other connection on earth. Because she's my wife. Are you hearing me this morning? And so, yes, she's my friend, but she's my wife. Let me give you another example. I have two boys and a wonderful daughter. And they're amazing. And, you know, they're, they're all good friends. You know, and I, I, I like to do things, we, to hang out together, to, to do stuff with my kids. And we have a, a good friendship. We have a good relationship. I know sometimes those family things can be strained, but ours aren't. And we, are, we just love to get together as a family and everything else. But again, if I was out at somewhere and I'm standing there with my son and someone comes along and, and introduces himself, and then they, I would never turn to you know, my son Ryan saying, Here, this is my friend Ryan. No. I say, this is my son Ryan. This is my daughter Amanda. This is my son Derek. I don't say, this is my friend they may be my friend. That's, that's not the point. There's a deeper relationship there because they're my child. Do you understand? They're blood. There's a relationship that's purchased through blood that cannot be established any other way. And so what we have here is a situation where, yes, it's wonderful that God's my friend, but more, much more than that, I'm his son. Much more than that. You're his son. You're his daughter. I mean, and the, and, the, and the understanding of this is completely staggering, and this is what we're trying to help you understand as a church, that we are to live as sons and daughters of the king. To live as sons and daughters of the king, not just to accept that, okay, okay, I hear you, all right, ease up on it a bit, pastor. I'm his son, I'm his daughter, all right. No, not just all right. As Ken would say, it's super fob gobulous. That's for you, Ken, if you're watching today. The reality is, it's, it's absolutely almost mind-blowing who we actually are. And, and, and what happens is we gloss over it. We, we say it so quickly, yes, I'm a son of God. No, and we don't realize the implications of that. There's things that you're willing to do for your children you won't do for anybody else. Is anybody hearing me this morning? There's things that we'll do for your children that you won't do for anybody else. And hear me, there's things that God will do for you because you're his child that he wouldn't do for you if you weren't his child. Are you serious? Yes. (laughs) In fact, what the scripture says that he'll do is embarrassing. It's actually embarrassing. 
to read what the scripture says. If you, if you actually read the scripture and you believe the scripture, what it says is available to us as a son or a daughter of the king is downright mind-blowing. And I think that it causes some people to get a little uncomfortable. Do you know that as I did the research, I did find one verse after the cross where the disciples were referred to as friends. And I thought, oh, this is blowing my whole theory right out of the water. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And uh, anyway, it got me a little nervous, and I started doing research. And, but it was in the NIV. Now, I'm not trying to just pick on the NIV. Um, but I'm going to pick on the NIV here for a minute. Uh, in the NIV, you know, there's one verse where the disciples after the, the resurrection are out fishing and, and Jesus speaks from shore and he said, my friends, have you, not, have you not caught any fish? Right? And the NIV it says friends. But then I got looking, every other translation said, my children. It doesn't say friends, it says children. I thought, hmm, who's right? So then I looked up the word in Greek. And the, and the word in Greek is pedos, where we get pediatrics from, which is the health care for friends. Oh, it's not? What is it? It's the health care for what? Children. children. Oh, it's children. Every other translation, but the NIV has children. NIV put as friendship, as friends. Now, why did they do that? And, and I got thinking, you know, maybe it's because they were trying to make it more relatable in our modern culture because we wouldn't necessarily use that language man to man, adult to adult. But I think in changing it to friends, you miss an important truth in Scripture that after the resurrection, they were not just friends. They were family. And Jesus was calling out to his family from the shore. And he was saying, my children... Have you caught, not caught any fish? It was just too mind-blowing maybe for the, the translators to work around or whatever they wanted to help it out. But the reality, the truth is, it doesn't say friends, it says children. And so, I, whew, all right, I can stand up and preach it because it is true. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You know, Jesus hinted that this was going to be the way forward while he was hanging on the cross. Even while he was hanging on the cross, he was meditating on, the, on what was being purchased by his blood. In Luke chapter 19, or John 19, I should say, verse 26, 27. Jesus is hanging on the cross and he looks down, right? And he says, dear woman, to his mother, Mary, your son, John, right? And then to, to John, he says, your mother. And then it says, from that time on, John took Mary into his house and, and lived and took care of Mary, the mother of Jesus. While he was on the cross, he actually profoundly said to John, he changed John's societal DNA, and he said, behold, your mother, mom, your son. While he's hanging on the cross dying for us, he gave John an upgrade already. And then when he gave, gave his life, that upgrade was made available for every one of us. We were brought into the family of God. Oh, my word. Isn't that something? Hallelujah. Praise God. I'll see. I'm done. There's so much more in here that I could talk about, but I've ran out of time, and I've went over by 15 minutes. Praise the Lord. We, um, we did a series here a few years ago. Remember we had the three chairs up on the stage? How many remember that? All right, we had a lot of new people since then. So, and we were making a comparison between the way the world thinks and the way the family thinks, right? And the three chairs represent 
three different postures that we could have. You know, you could be in chair one, which is, I mean, chair three, I should say, which is sitting on the outside, you know, longing to be accepted into the family. And then chair two, which is where most Christians get to. We get into the, fam into the family of God, but we don't live like sons and daughters. But chair one is to live with a full revelation of who we are as uh, children of God. And the programming of the world goes like this. The world system is do, have, and be. So in other words, your identity comes from what you do. I'm a, I work in farming, I'm construction, I'm a mom, I'm a teacher, I'm a, I, I'm a lawyer, blah, 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 right? And then what I do and whether I'm successful at it or not determines what I have. So I own a farm, I have a house, I have a vacation property, nice car, retirement home, uh, an, an, an excellent pension plan, blah, blah, blah. I have these things, right? Or I have, you know, uh, a family and I have, you know, all of those things with that. And then what I have establishes who I am, right? So because I've been successful at what I do and I've established and, 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 and so successfully that I have all these things, now I'm able to say that I'm a fireman, I'm a homeowner, I'm a doctor, I am a teacher. My identity is ensconced in this uh, situation now. So it's do, have, and now I can finally be something, right? But in the kingdom, it's completely the other way around. The other way around in the kingdom of God, it starts with B. God starts with identity first. He says, you're a son, you're a daughter. That's who I am. We start with B. Be a son or a daughter. Be part of the family. That's where the kingdom starts. And then because I'm a son or a daughter, I can have what the Bible says I can have. I can not only have, you know, uh, blessings and finances there, but I can have peace and joy and mercy and grace and a wonderful spouse and a blessed marriage and on and on and on and on and on it goes. I can have those things. Why? Because of who I am. I'm a child of God. And then because I'm a son or a daughter of God and I have those things, I can do anything. Why can I do it? I can do it because there's nothing that's been shortened to me. I don't lack the finances. I don't lack the love. I don't lack the grace. I don't lack the peace. I don't lack any of those things. I can do whatever I want. That's the kingdom. That's what we're inviting you to today. Hallelujah. That's what we're inviting you to today. If you're here this morning, you've, you've never heard anybody talk crazy like this before, then you just need to keep coming back here because I talk crazy like this every week. And... Uh, and, and, and next week, actually, I won't be here. Barry will be talking crazy like this next week. And uh, uh, Barry is going to be here uh, next Sunday while a bunch of us guys go down to uh, Lafayette and uh, we go to the men's conference down there. So, so Barry will be here and we're looking forward to that. But, but my prayer is this, church, that you would recognize who you are as a son or daughter of king and that that revelation would go so deep. And when you mess up, how many have ever messed up here? That you would receive the grace and the mercy of God in the same way that a child gets to receive that from their parents. You know, a healthy parent loves their child no matter what they've done. No matter what they've done. And there's no more healthy parent than God our Father. He's the healthiest parent there ever was and ever will be. Amen. Father, we thank you for this beautiful day today. Thank you for this word. Father, I thank you for family, and we're going to be dedicating children now, Lord, and what a privilege it is to dedicate children to the Lord. 
And Father, no greater revelation of family is there than a dedication Sunday. And Father, we just thank you for the grace of God that's resting on us today and on this house. And Father, we thank you for these children. We give you blessing and praise for every one of them today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Praise the Lord. Stand with me and stretch yourself out a little bit here this morning. Yeah, if you, if you want to go get your children from Children's Church and have them in here with you right now, you can do that. And we'll just start this dedication service in about 30 seconds to a minute. So be quick. For those who are watching on stream, on live, bless you. Have an amazing week. And uh, we thank you for being with us. But if you guys could just keep the recording going so we can give this to people, but just cut the live stream. Thanks.